It's when you always waking up feeling tired and exhausted and that whatever you do, you aren't able to get over that feeling of exhaustion and tiredness. So you might, okay, say, oh, I'll just take the weekend off. I'll go for a long weekend with my partner or I'll go for my holiday. And even after the holiday, you come back and think, actually, I feel really tired. Hello, welcome to Reaching Your Goals. My name is Hannah Herbst and I'm a certified leadership and career coach and a management consultant with an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business. Reaching Your Goals is a career-focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals to find out what it takes to reach your goals. We will talk about anything from knowing yourself and leading with purpose to growing your self-confidence or becoming more productive whatever it takes to get one step closer to living a fulfilled professional life. My mission is simple, to inspire you to reach your goals, lead with kindness and have some fun along the way. I'm here today with Sarah Sparks. Sarah is an award-winning executive coach, speaker and author. Her recent book, Stop, The Karma Way to Future-Proof Your Career and Wellbeing, was the winner of the Wellness and Wellbeing category in the Business Book Awards 2022. Before becoming a coach, Sarah held senior management roles in demanding organizations like Goldman Sachs, but paid the price for not having a sustainable strategy and burned out. She now works with busy professionals in her role as an executive coach and helps them get it right and prevent burnout in themselves and others. That's exactly what we will be talking about today. What is burnout and how can we preempt it? To sum it up, Sarah says, if you really want to reach your goals, you have to rest to be your best. I love that. And we will <laughs> deep dive into that. Okay, go. Nice to be here, by the way, Hannah. <laughs> Thank you. To get to know you a little bit, I prepared a few rapid fire questions. Short questions, short answers. Okay. What is your favorite self-care treat? Sleep. Sleep, sleep, ah. sleep. Can't get enough. And it's hard to get enough. How many hours? I aim for between seven and eight. I got seven hours, two minutes this, today. Do you track your sleep? Absolutely. I have this wonderful ring called an aura ring that tracks my sleep, my steps, my heart rate variability, everything that I need to know about my stress levels and my recovery. What do you need to be at your best? Well, certainly, I need to be well rested, number one. Grounded, number two, which for me is a conscious process for me to be grounded. And then all sorts of other things, surrounded by good company. I really enjoy things being in harmony. So things looking beautiful makes a difference to me. If things are untidy, I get a little bit, oh, I can't be my best self. So that's the sort of thing that works for me. And say, so do you prefer emails or phone calls? Definitely phone calls. And I do like to see people. So even Zoom calls I prefer than just a phone call. And what is the most important quality in a leader? Most important. I can't, I can't, I'm not sure I can say. There's one thing that pops into my head immediately is to model good practice. Whether it's listening or really being very clear with your requests or looking modeling self-care, be the change you want to be in the world and be proud of what you're showing others would be a quality that I think is really important in a leader. Be the change you want to see. Love it as well. 
and say, looking at your coaching clients, how would they describe you in one word? Oh, in one word. The, the word that came up to, to mind was cheeky, but I think maybe sparky. That's my nickname, sparky, and it suits me and it suits the way that I like to work. So my business name is Sparks of Inspiration, and I think of myself as a provocateur, a thought provocateur. So that's where the sparks of energy and insight. And if you could have any meal right now, what would you have and where would you have it? Oh, south of France, overlooking the ocean, when it's warm, and it would be scallops and a very, very lovely green salad with French dressing. I can see you sitting there by the water. <laughs> With a glass of champagne. It's got to, be, got to be done. If you do it, you have to do it right. And say, what is the best advice you've been offered in your personal or professional life? Oh, you have a choice. It's probably the best advice I was given. When I really didn't think I had a choice in the way that I worked and how I needed to be as a wife, as a mother, as a business colleague, as a friend, I do have a choice. I have a choice about how I live my life. So, and that's enabled me to be very conscious about how I make those choices. And one last question. Who is one of your role models? Uh, Michelle Obama would be one of my role models. She's bright. She's impactful. She's delightful. I'd love to have her over for dinner. Um, she's joyful and funny. Um, she has a fantastic relationship, it seems, with her husband. Oh, and she's tall, like I want to be one day. All of those things I'm admiring of. <laughs> love it and with that I would like to deep dive for the ones who haven't read your book yet you share very openly your story in your book but would you mind sharing the short version of it what are the key milestones that led you to where you are today yes so I'd like to take your audience back to a time when I was 35 years old my career was on a roll I'd recently been promoted I was working at Goldman Sachs I'd been promoted in terms of title so I'd just been made an executive director I was very proud of that so was my family I had a new role at something that I knew nothing about. It was very technical, head of financial regulation, but everything outside of the US, very demanding with a set of new people I didn't know either. And I was trying to be, and I'd recently got married. Within the last six months, I got married. And so I was trying to be the best version of me I could be for everybody around me. But I had no idea of the toll this way of working and this way of people-pleasing was having on me. I hadn't slept properly in years. In fact, I sacrificed sleep to get things done all the time. I thought sleep was a bit of a waste of time. Um, my breathing had become erratic, so I kept gulping for air, a bit like a goldfish, it, and it was, it was probably not a very good look. Towards the end, I couldn't concentrate. The words on a page were swimming around. I couldn't take anything in, and I was snappy with everybody, snappy with people at work, people, my friends and family, not my best self at all. And I had no idea of the toll it was taking until I found myself in hospital, and I had no idea how I got there. And that was a real shock to me. Wow. How could I not know? Apparently, I collapsed in the office and the company doctor scooped me up and sent me to the Priory Hospital, which is a psychiatric hospital here in London. I was there a long time. Part of my recovery, it felt very slow. In fact, it, it really was. It took a number of years for me to get fully well again. But I remember a couple of months in having a conversation with my consultant at the time, saying I didn't have a choice. When working in this type of environment, I had to do this I had to push myself this way and he was the man who said you do have a choice work is not meant to make you ill and I was thinking oh he's right he's right and I did make a decision to put myself on the priority pile because no one else was going to do that for me but even though the decision was easy the actual following it through and making it happen was far from easy 
because the people around me who had got used to this people-pleasing Sarah uh, was experiencing a different woman and they struggled with it. And so it was much harder to implement than to actually decide to do. But I did persevere and over the years my health improved, my confidence came back and I went back to Goldman Sachs briefly. I didn't stay there long because the environment was not one that suited my mental well-being. But I did decide to actually, I want to help people not burn out in the first place. But if they're on the verge, how can I help them you know, pull back from the edge? Um, which is why I became a coach. I'm now a speaker and I have this book that has just won the award, as you very kindly mentioned. It's called Stop. It's just behind me. Wow. Is, is, is this burnout? It sounds like this was the turning point in your life. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And people used, used to call it breakdowns, didn't they? You know, had a mental breakdown. And I think that would, is absolutely true. But I believe now it was a breakthrough for me because other, if I hadn't had that wake up call, I might still be there and sacrificing huge, important aspects of my life for someone else or another organization actually that wasn't really out for my best interests yeah so I, it was a massive wake-up call and a breakthrough for me there was significant consequences who were you before and who did you become i was superwoman before i could do anything i was invincible nothing was going to stop me somebody put a, uh, an obstacle in my way i would find a way around it uh, i was a really good people manager um, really sponsored individuals to become their best and that's what I do now for a living but I was doing it back then but I didn't have um, any sense of you know what it was doing for me so I was I was very externally focused in the past now I'm both I'm internally focused first and foremost so that I can be my best self Uh, reach my goals and sponsor others to do the same. So that's the shift for me. It, it was external, then internal. Well, it was just external before, and I didn't even have any internal, how are you doing, Sparky? Have you had enough sleep? Now it's, have you had enough sleep? Are you being your best? How can you serve? A very different, complete head over heels thing for me. And it sounds like today you're a purpose-driven person. Were you already aware of your purpose in the old world? So my purpose in the old world was to sponsor and bring out the best in others. And that manifests itself for me in, in a level of people pleasing. Now I'm very, very conscious of what I believe I've been put on the world and the earth to do and how can I serve best and what is my biggest way of having an impact. And so I'm very much purpose driven for how I can serve. Where before I was serving others, now I'm serving through myself. It doesn't really make much sense in words, but it makes a lot of sense inside me. Oh, it does make a lot of sense. It, to me, it sounds like you are the one who is in charge of your life, like this metaphorical bus of your life. Mm. You're driving it. Mm, absolutely. I'm now the driver of my bus and I was a passenger before. Absolutely. And I think with the, your book, you also empower people to become the driver versus being the passenger. What inspired you to write the book now? Well, I, in fact, it was a few years ago I was inspired to write the book. So when my mother was 80, somebody needed to say some nice words about her. And all my siblings and I were not very good at that sort of thing. My father had recently died and he, he would have done it in the past. So one of us needed to step up and I thought, oh, I'm going to surprise everybody and I'm going to become a public speaker and I'm going to use this as my first opportunity to show what I can do. Anyway, in the process of doing my public speaking, the first little 
tiny seminar I ran, which was at home. There were six people I knew, and each of them brought somebody I didn't know. And I shared with them my thinking around burnout and burnout prevention. And unbeknownst to me, in the audience of those just 12 people was um, somebody from Capstone Wiley, and I got a book writing contract off the first time I ever shared my thinking. And I thought, oh, anyway, I decided not to take that up because they had too many demands on me. I had a young child at the time and I needed to go around and sell thousands of books around the country and I didn't want to do that. But however, the second time I got an opportunity to really share this story in the world, 1,100 people turned up. It was a virtual event. It was run within an organization, a large organization in the city. 1,100 people. I'm thinking, oh, people really want to know about this stuff. Um, and so that was the kick up the pants to write the book. It did take me a long time. I gave myself six months and it took me nearly two years. It was like pulling a tooth. And I'm not a natural writer at all. And I'm so, so pleased and proud of myself that it's actually won an award. I mean, this is just, for me, unbelievable. <laughs> so, but it's great. And the one thing I want to add is very easy to read. Really well done. Thank you very much indeed. Well, I wanted to have a conversation. And really, the conversation is with my younger self at 35 years old. What did I wish I'd known? There was so much I didn't know back then that if I had known, I'd have made different choices. And that's what I want other people to know. Some facts. And then they've got a choice. They don't have to do anything different if they don't want to. But actually, when you've got some information to hand, you think, oh, so if I do that, then this happens. If I get really stressed out, all my other systems, not important for running away and keeping myself safe, like the fight, flight, and freeze system kicks in, but other systems shut down. My reproductive system shuts down, my digestion system shuts down, my immunity shuts down, and my higher cognitive function shuts down. So there wasn't any surprise now that I became infertile because I was so stressed at work. Is that a choice I'd make again? No. I'm very blessed to have one child who came along at the age of 46. I wanted a much bigger family. I'm sad about that, and I wish I'd known. So my book is all about educating people and giving them some tools where they can actually make a difference to themselves and have a long-standing career and health and well-being. What feedback did you get from your family and friends for sharing so openly? Interesting. Um, a number of my family have chosen not to read it. <laughs> I think they're probably scared. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, yes, a couple of my sisters, have, I've got, I'm one of four, a couple of my sisters have read it. And um, I think they were proud of me. They were sitting beside me when book award was announced and one of them had to dig me in the ribs saying it's your book get up there because I was thinking oh, someone else is bound to have won um so so it's not the first time I've shared openly I think in answer to your question so I've shared openly in, in the talks that I give I really do share my story and there's other books that I've contributed to when I've shared my story so this wasn't the first time and so I think they're, they're used to it I don't think they would do it themselves though and it sounds like they are very proud Yes. Yeah. In your book, burnout plays a big role. And I would like to deep dive a little bit more on burnout because my perception is that burnout is everywhere, but still at the same time is more, is still a taboo topic and nobody's talking about it. Like I found a McKinsey survey they, from 2021. And let me quote, they say, almost half of all employees report being at least somewhat burned out. And that's likely an underrepresentation of the real number. Half of the people. Well, let, let me give you some updated statistics. So Deloitte issued a report in March of this year, and they surveyed mm -hmm. over a thousand of full-time working employees. 77% of those that were interviewed said they felt burnt out in their current role. 77%. Wow. And that went up to 84% for millennials. 
So in the past, I think, you know, burnout was always there. It's, it, it's kind of lends itself a perfectionist, people pleasers, workaholics, you know, people who want to get significance from their work. They, they can easily burn out. But in the past, it was sort of as natural attrition. If you couldn't hack it, they'd kind of let you go. Terrible thing to, to say out loud, but I think that was what was happening. So burnout is not new, but the level of burnout is significantly different. And organizations can't afford to ignore it anymore. I mean, again, another Deloitte's and Mind survey, piece of research, I should say, rather than the survey, talked about the cost of burnout. So it's about 7 billion costs for people being off sick, but it's nearly 26 to 30 billion costs of people being in the office but not working well. I mean, that's a huge wow. cost to the economy and to... Um, to the world at heart large. And that's just the UK stats. So. It's insane. And just to make sure we are all on the same page, what is burnout? Well, burnout is defined by the World Health Organization as a syndrome that is brought about by chronic work-related stress, primarily from an, uh, a chronic imbalance between work demands and work resources. So that's the driver, the chronic imbalance. How it manifests itself varies enormously, but essentially you know, people become negative and cynicism, they have cynicism. They get mentally distanced from their job. They feel disassociated from the work that they do. They've had this permanent sense of fatigue and exhaustion, which they cannot throw off from a holiday or a long weekend. Uh, and they just don't function well. So in my case, I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't think straight. I couldn't problem solve or be creative in the same way. I described the words swimming around on the page. I couldn't focus and allow information in because my, my brain was saying, enough, I can't do anymore. So it manifests itself in lots of different ways. But those are the prime areas. Um, and having trouble sleeping is one thing that you should look out for. I mean, there are all sorts of reasons why you might get have trouble sleeping. But if you continue to have trouble sleeping and you're feeling constantly fatigued and tired, just check out the other symptoms as well and just see, you know, do I need to go and get some help? Everybody has a phase that for a few nights you don't sleep well. What is the time when it turns from a sleep issue to a burnout? Um, it's very difficult to answer that because I think we're all all different. For sure, we can all go without sleep from time to time. We do it on a long-haul flight and you, you wouldn't want to make important decisions that day, but you still get yourself back on track. And many of us have had worries and probably more of us are having worries right now and keeping us awake at night. But it's normal life, isn't it? And it would have happened forever. We would all have these things. It's when you always waking up feeling tired and exhausted and that whatever you do, you aren't able to get over that feeling of exhaustion and tiredness so you might okay say oh I'll just take the weekend off I'll go for a long weekend with my partner or I'll go for my holiday and even after the holiday you come back and think actually I feel really tired still I've had lots of sleep this holiday but it's just not hit the sides that's the sort of thing I'm talking about but stress and burnout are very insidious it really creeps up on you there isn't any sort of moment where you can tell okay I'm burnt out now. It, it doesn't work that way. It's very, very slippery slope and a long can be a long one. Those sorts of statistics, I'm sure, have been influenced by the last couple of years and, and the pandemic we've li lived through because all sorts of things weren't available to us and boundaries were different, weren't they? So that we didn't always have the boundaries that helped us switch off. And that's, in my mind, the whole point. Stress is not the problem. Stress is really not the problem. Lack of recovery is the problem. 
You really need to be able to bring down these stress hormones so that you know, your rest of your body can function well, but you can have higher cognitive function and you know, function at your best. If you continue to have stress after stress after stress, then, then these, these stress hormones don't come down. And you said in the beginning, rest to be your best. It's one of the key things. I think the education that I really noticed that when, when people get it is that they, instead of re working, focusing on how can I get this work done, is how can I recover in between the work? It's important that we all ha work really hard and well and do our best, Just taking those moments to really recover in between workloads, whether that is a break between meetings or breathing between when you're having a stressful moment in a meeting and you, you know that you've got to speak soon, you know, just bringing your stress hormones down by breathing, you know, doing the box breathing exercise that she's in the book, the fastest way of bringing down the stress hormones, breathing slowly, deeply, and no one needs to know that you're doing that, which is great. But it's a concept of always having recovery in your mindset. And if somebody who is listening in is now a little bit worried, like, man, my batteries are constantly low, I don't recover, at what point should somebody seek help? Yesterday. And what kind of help? Um, what kind of help? If they really are burnt out, they need to go and seek medical help. Uh, so go first to a doctor or if you have an EAP program, employee assistance program, seek out some psychiatric help if you can. Often organizations have that available. If you really are burnt out and, and you, you know you can't escape that, then go and seek some medical help. If you're worried about whether that's, that's true, again, seek medical help if you can. Um, but I, I would focus on, okay, how can I get that balance of this too much demands and not enough resources? What can I do to change that? My book is all about how can you help yourself not burn out and bring down the stress hormones. But in reality, we also need to address this imbalance. And that's not something individuals can do on their own. It's, just, it's a, an environment situation. Your department, your, your boss has a big say in you know, what, what are your demands. So if you're able to have a conversation with your boss about, okay, I've got 24 hours in a day. It's really important that I have eight, 10 rest sleeping and recovering generally. How do you want me to focus on my day, on the rest of it? You can do anything, but you can't do everything. What is the most important things? How am I going to make my biggest contribution today and this week and this month and this year uh, without burning myself out because I really want to be my best? Having that type of conversation about you know, what's being asked of you and what, what resources have you got. But having the conversation really matters And you don't have the conversation now. Seriously, have the conversation now. Um, you don't need to use the words mental health. You don't need to use the words burnout. If you phrase it in the way to, I want to be my best self and do my best work. And in order to do that, it needs to be manageable. How can you help me make it manageable? What you were saying is like, how can I contribute the most? What should I focus on? How can I best um, contribute? That's all coming with a positive spin. So that conversation, yeah. have it. Ha yes, have it, have it. And it's certainly in the 2019 report that was done for our UK government did highlight the fact that if you did talk about your mental well-being at work, it was a career-limiting move. That was then. I believe it's much more possible to talk about your mental health. But if you're worried about it, don't use those words. Focus on, okay, how can I be my best? And in order for that, it needs to be manageable. 
How can you encourage me to step away in between big projects? Yeah, have that conversation with your manager and, the, and your team. And in your book, you talk about going from being exhausted to thriving. And for thriving, you are highlighting three ingredients, awareness, clarity, and lifelong learning. Could you elaborate a little bit more what thriving truly is? Well, again, I think it's a very individual thing. But I, I suspect each and every one of us has had moments in our life when actually things were going really well, that we were fully fully functioning, contributing our best in environments where they were really supportive, things that were honoring our values. So we felt this is brilliant. We've all had moments in our lives, whether it's at work or outside of work, when, when that's possible. But that doesn't happen by default. It happens by design. So thriving in my mind is being really conscious about, okay, how can I shine? How can I thrive? What do I need? I need to do things for myself, as in look after myself so that I can be my best. And then I need to create opportunities and environments where I can really blossom. So it's a very conscious way of living where you have that clarity and you know where you can make a difference in the world. But it's also this idea of sustainability. How can I keep this up? It's no good having peak performance. It's actually sustainable high performance that really matters. And you just said that it's very personal. What is thriving for you? To me, thriving for me is I know that I'm, I really am humming personally. So I'm well rested. I've eaten well. I've exercised. My muscles are toned. I feel flexible. My thinking is clear. And then when I'm in environments that I find harmonious people, beautiful things, doing something I enjoy. Those all things are all when I'm thriving. Right now I'm tired. My mum recently died and so I'm grieving and I'm really having to work hard so to sorry. stay in an okay place. I'm not a thriving place right now, but I'm okay with that because it is, life's a, life's a journey. <laughs> as soon as you get into that thriving moment, something that could knock you off course. So it's, it's always course correcting. So, um, yeah, I'm working on getting myself back up there. I don't know about you, but when I find that uh, I get knocked off, of course, all sorts of things go by the wayside. So if I don't sleep well, I don't eat well, I don't feel inclined to go to the gym as much as I did. And so the spirals start and I really am much more conscious now of giving myself a bit of a break. It's okay. We can get ourselves back on track. So all course correcting. What can I do today? And my first point of call is always sleep, always, always sleep. And I guess this is also when the stop model comes into play. You talk about the stop model in your book, but for anybody who hasn't read it yet, what is the stop model? Like what does the acronym stand for? Yeah. So the acronym stands for S, stands for self. You know, what can you do to look after yourself to, for you to be in your peak performance. The T stands for time, managing your time well. People steal time all the time. They should go to jail. <laughs> well, it is an interesting thought, isn't it? How dare people do that? But again, it's a very much way of conscious way of living. You have to be really conscious about who's stealing my time and, and how can I be in charge? So there's lots around managing your time well that makes a difference to your thriving. But that's the T. The O stands for others. You know, interacting with others, we do it all the time. And sometimes it's very functional and other times it's rather dysfunctional how can you make yours functional and effective so that you can influence and you know, uh, work well with people so there's a lot around working with others and how to bring out the best in them and you and the last one is p for performance and that in my mind is having this mindset of sustainable high performance what can i do how can i keep an eye on my mental well-being for example, or how can I you know, be strategic time and make sure that I always have recovery in there? How can I have that mindset of long-term high performance in mind? 
So that's what the STOP stands for. And would you mind sharing what your daily routine looks like, incorporating elements from the STOP model? Indeed. So, so my morning routine is one of the things that really makes a difference to me and setting myself up for success for the day. In the book, I share a couple of versions of things. And right now, because of the way I'm feeling, but also what else is going on in my world, I'm only able to do a short morning routine. First thing I do when I wake up is have some hot water. I shower and get myself dressed, but then I would do a few minutes of writing, getting anything that's in my head out. So I do some morning pages. I would do some meditation and then I'll be thinking about, okay, how can I make my best contribution today? So so I've got this lovely interview today. I've also got two other conversations I'm having about particular clients. And I know I've got an important job to do in order to serve them. So I'm really excited about those two conversations. And then this afternoon, I'm working in a charity shop and I really love it. I really like making a contribution in that way. So my morning routine is... Um, I also try and exercise, although I haven't exercised today. So at some point I will move. And if I haven't got time to go to the gym or play tennis to do the things that I love... I would literally make sure my body bends in every direction. So bends over, bends back a bit, twists, you know, every single plane, if you like, just to make sure I've got some flexibility. Because um, nice. to me, then I start to feel better and get the blood circulating. That's the sort of thing I do. If, if somebody is picking up that morning routine, how long does it typically take till somebody sees an impact? instantaneous i think i think what's happening about most people's mornings is they get hijacked by other people so often people roll out of bed the first thing they do is look at their phone and their emails and emails are just somebody else's agenda running so even before you've thought about okay what's important for my day someone else is telling you what's important about their day and if we're people pleasers and perfectionists and um, we get stuck in a rut we just rush off and do what everyone else wants us to do now i'm not saying that we shouldn't do that I'm saying what we should do first is thinking, okay, what is my highest contribution I can make in my life today? Before you then look at the emails, because once you've made that decision about, okay, my, my most significant contribution could be X, you will then filter those emails through that. And some things will no longer be the most important thing to do and others will become more important, let's say. So spending a moment. So I encourage people who are really short of time is in the shower, they think about, okay, how can I make my contribution? So they're not losing any time at all. But they are making that shower time purposeful. If they've got a minute just to close their eyes after they've jumped out of the shower and just ground themselves, be an equivalent of a mini meditation. Just, okay, how can I ground myself? And then if I encourage people to do some learning, if on their commute or if they don't no longer have a commute, If they can spend just a couple of minutes reading something of their interest, it could be on their phone, it could be a physical magazine, it could be part of a book. Just one page. Do something that's going to make you think and allow you to learn differently, inspire you in some way. So it doesn't really need to take very long, but it does have a massive impact, an immediate impact, a morning routine does, because you are then in charge of your day rather than your day being in charge of you. So it's really those steps that everybody who is curious to get more in the driver's seat of their life that they should start you said setting a contribution when they take a shower or drink their coffee in the morning grounding themselves and learning something so is there anything else i think the concept about starting your day is about stopping mm -hmm. let's stop for a minute and think about okay what's important now so instead of win-win, it's what's important now, win. <laughs> what's important now for me and how can I contribute would be how I would think of it. So stop and uh, think about what's important to you now, 
how can I make my contribution, which kind of sets your goals and your intentions in that sort of grounding yourself, you are starting to get yourself to be your best self. And I would also encourage the, the moving, getting yourself going. So those are the, some of the elements that are included in a morning routine. And I guess for the moving, it could also be something simple like taking the stairs instead of the elevator or getting off the bus one stop earlier. Like it could be easy things, right? It could be very easy things. And I think you're know, taking a walk around the block, even if you're working from home. I would also encourage though, but bear in mind we're sitting down most of the time. And then when we're not sitting down, we're walking. So our bodies are quite used to doing that. I notice how I feel so much better when I am using some other muscles. So doing a roll down, for example, just standing up against the wall and rolling down to, to touch your toes. So that we're using muscles and um, releasing things that don't normally happen as you're walking or sitting, which is what we're mostly doing. Yes. I'm thinking of yoga now. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's yoga is brilliant. It's a discipline where you try and use almost every muscle. And many of us are not. We're just using a very limited number of muscles. Uh, and therefore, our blood flow is presumably limited as well. So that's the other thing about moving for me. It's about moving everything. Get, getting yourself flexible. I have a belief that flexible body means flexible mind. What if that was true? I couldn't agree more, I'm, oh, but I have to admit, I'm also a big yoga fan. I thought you might be. I thought you might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I believe or is it, is you mm. also have this um, feedback and assessment tools to uncover um, levels of stress. What is that? Yes. So I work with clients in, in different ways. Coaching is part of it. But I, I like to use assessment tools too. And one of the ones as a go-to one for me is what's called Uh, first beat where we actually get somebody to wear a heart rate monitor for a couple of days and we, we can see when they get stressed and most importantly how much recovery time you have what's interesting about that is you know, depending on people make the assumption that when I'm asleep I'm recovering that's not necessarily true you can be asleep but your heart for example is still in the stress response and that could be because you've exercised at the wrong time of day or because of what you've eaten or drunk is actually putting your body in the stress response so you can't assume that sleep even well I guess good quality sleep by default would mean it's in the recovery phase but you can't assume that sleep is all good so this particular assessment really helps you see what's going on on the inside which you can't argue with that's the thing One of my, you know, lots of my clients really like that way because it's data and they can believe it. And it's true. They can, they can believe it because it is factual data. Uh, so it really helps them think, oh, okay, I need to change my behavior in order to get that rest and recovery in. What I find super intriguing about this is that it's customized. Mm, yeah, absolutely. That's why you know, wearables matter. I mean, it, only if you look at the data and take action, of course. <laughs> Maybe just just wearing it and ignoring it, but but there's lots of um, wearables that you can have right now that really do help understand what's going on on the inside. One more question: that one thing I picked up in your book, which I really liked, is that you mentioned that you have a glass jug in your kitchen where you jot down accomplishments, and then I, I think at some point you read them, and I love that. Can you just yes share? Yeah, so, so what I've noticed about myself, but also many of the clients I work with, they are quick to remember the things that go wrong. And then they are very quick to step over their achievements and they don't really clock them. You know, sometimes at the end of the year, you get asked by your manager or the system to write down you know, whether you've achieved your goals or not as part of your year-end appraisal. But what if 
you actually every time you had a success you wrote it down somewhere it, it could be in a journal but I just do it on a piece of paper and put it in a jug and I do it with my family so that we all do this and it's, uh, last time was Christmas time so we've got a little bit of nine months worth now of um, achievements we haven't yet looked at but I, I'd like to do it more often than just once a year but you just sit down one evening and you just put your hand in the jar and pull one up and so often you think oh I completely forgotten about that and it's such a lovely feeling to realize actually I really did make a difference there and I had this achievement and I would have forgotten it if I hadn't written it down what is the last post that you noted down and put in your in the jack it was from, from this week I actually said no to somebody well done which for me was um a stretch but actually I said no that's not okay for me I mean you mentioned that you have a tendency of people pleasing so I can see that that's a stretch yeah so for, that was an achievement for me and I was pleased and on on top of that I shared that with somebody else and I think that makes a difference voicing it out loud if you pull it out of the jug or you you look at it back in your journal um, and you are talking it around a about a dinner table that's also good but even at the time if you get an opportunity to say you know what For me, this was a big stretch and it was a success for me. And I'd like to say, I'm proud of me. So it was this week. Well done, I'm proud of you. It's another demonstration that we're actually driving the bus, isn't it? Otherwise, somebody else is. And I think about the thing about being a passenger on the bus of your life is you can end up at a destination that you don't want to be at, which is what happened to me. I wasn't driving the bus and I ended up somewhere I didn't want to be. And it didn't serve me. And say, Sarah, what is coming up next for you? Uh, what's coming up next for me, I have a, on my, my wall beside me, I've got all of these things going on. I'm speaking at a conference coming up in January. Um, I've got some other interviews around my book, which I'm looking forward to. I've got more than enough clients, which is a very lovely place to be, and people are waiting to work with me. So that's also very nice. And I think the biggest thing for me that's in terms of me driving my bus is I've decided to write another book. I never thought I would. Oh, wow. But I've decided to write another book so this book is all about how to help yourself not burn out but but what I'm noticing and the statistics are showing even if you did everything in the book and it's full of tips and techniques you did everything in the book but you were put back into an environment that didn't support that it's not sustainable so my next book is about what what can organizations do to encourage and support people to be their best um so I'm starting my research on that that's a big thing And thank you for sharing that one. And if anyone's listening to this particular podcast and would like to have a conversation about what their organization are doing or would like to do or are thinking about or just want to bounce around ideas, then please get in contact. How can people get in contact with you? Where do they find you? Best way is on LinkedIn. Um, you can look Sarah Sparks up, but also Choose to Thrive is also my other handle. Or, or you can go to my website, which is sarahsparks.co.uk. Um, is my website and you can find me through, through that way and there's a telephone number on there too so you can pick up the telephone and let's have a conversation I'd be delighted to support you perfect for now mm -hmm. I would love to thank you for um, talking with me today and sharing your news and your story it was a pleasure to talk to you it was an absolute delight to be here thank you very much indeed for inviting me important conversation to have. I'm still shocked by the number Sarah quoted from this Deloitte study. 77% of those who were interviewed said they felt burned out. If you are not suffering from it, 
chances are someone from your family, team, friends is. That makes it more important to stay on top of it and try out the morning routine Sarah is recommending. When you get up, check in with yourself, what's important for you and what will be your highest contribution that day. That will help you to filter all information coming your way through that lens to stay on top. Then also ground yourself as a mini meditation and learn something, even if it's just reading one page. This morning routine will have an immediate impact. And if you trade out and you talk about it, please tag me at Delegate or Reaching Your Goals podcast. If someone is coming to mind who might be suffering from it or being close to it, please forward this episode. Also, if you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, please do so wherever you listen to your podcast. Lastly, if I can be of any help in my role as a leadership and career coach or management consultant, you can always reach me at hannahadelegate.com or via LinkedIn. With that, we are one step closer to reaching your goals. Talk to you next time. Bye. Oh, 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 oh,